0: Today's passage is from 1 Peter four twelve through nineteen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As we continue this morning, looking at the theme of suffering within 1 Peter. So the last three weeks, he's been really pounding home this theme of how do we react when suffering comes our way. Now the suffering that Peter is talking about here is persecution. These believers that he is writing to in what is now modern-day Turkey are dealing with all sorts of persecution as a result of their newfound faith in Christ. They were Gentiles, converted as Christians, and now dealing with all sorts of issues as a result of their faith. You know, the reality is that there are many people who start strong in the faith, but when suffering comes upon them or someone close to them, They leave. And so every time we see a passage that deals with suffering, I have no doubt that some person comes to mind. Somebody that you knew who was once following after Jesus, and something happened into their life, and now they are no longer believing in God. And what 1 Peter shows us in this particular passage, I believe, is a proper theology of how do we reconcile when suffering happens to us with our faith in Jesus Christ. There is a way to reconcile the fact that suffering happens, and yet Jesus still loves us. And this passage gives us a proper theology of that. The first thing Peter tells us in this passage is that the test is coming. It is inevitable that you and me as believers in Jesus Christ will endure difficult times. It is not optional. It is not something that we can cross our fingers and hope doesn't happen. Peter tells us very clearly, this is going to happen to you. Now all summer long, as we've been diving into this book, we understand the context that he is writing to believers that are in exile, taken far from their home growing up as Gentiles, not believing in Jesus. So they were like everybody else around them. Suddenly, the Spirit of God moves in their hearts. They become believers, and now the persecution is hitting them. They didn't join up and sign up for following Jesus because they thought suffering was going to happen. But it happened. And so what is the response? Well, Peter tells them, do not be surprised when this happens to you. Now, if you dig a little bit deeper, the idea that this surprise is carrying is that your mouth is wide open. You are in shock about what is happening to you. Peter tells them, do not be surprised when this happens to you. God is well aware. Testing is a part of following after Jesus. Some of you might have had a recurring dream, maybe a nightmare, where you show up to school one day, you sit down in the chair, and you realize that you had a test that day, and you were not prepared at all. Now for some of you, maybe that was a reality, because you're just a bad student. But for many of us, that was a nightmare, to not be prepared. Kill somebody like me is a type A personality. It is gut-wrenching when you are not prepared for the test that is coming your way, whether that be in the academic setting or in your life. And they were not ready for this. They were not expecting this. But Peter is writing this to them to encourage them and to give them hope and to share with them that in spite of their suffering, Jesus has not left them. Jesus has not left us. Just this week, going to the hospitals, visiting people that were having cancer surgery, visiting people that are having bone marrow biopsies, people that don't know what the future holds. But their faith is in Christ, and their future is secure. And what I saw in those visits was people who know that Jesus has a plan for their life. And that's what Peter is communicating to these believers here. You know, one of the reasons I find Christianity so compelling is that it does not leave us in the dark when it comes to suffering. In fact, Peter, James, John, Jesus, everyone is talking about This is what you do when you suffer. It's made very, very clear, and this is what Peter tells us here. The reason we suffer is to test our faith. It's to increase our dependency on Jesus. It's to refine our faith. This is not just a pastor giving you a positive spin on negative situations. This is what the Word of God says. When you suffer, you are testing and refining your faith. And if you succeed on the other side of that, you will be blessed as a result. You will increase your dependency on Jesus through that time of suffering. I've talked to many, many people who are going through difficult times, that have gone through difficult times, and many of them tell me that it has been some of the sweetest times that they've ever had with Jesus. Why is that? Because your dependency in that moment is completely on Him. And the intimacy level that you have with Jesus is ratcheted up a knot during your time of suffering. But you know, that's a choice that we have it can either draw us closer to Jesus or it can push us away from him. Now, these Gentiles are the cultural minority. At one time, they were the majority culture. They were fitting in like everyone else around them in the pagan culture. But once they decided to follow after Jesus, they became the minority. There was a recent study done in 2018 by a professor out of Eastern Illinois University. And this was the question that he asked. What religious tradition do you identify with? The results of that survey found that 23.1% identify with no religious affiliation whatsoever. This is the group that we know as the nuns. This is a buzzword that you hear a lot about, the nuns. Those that identify with no religious tradition whatsoever. 22.5%, half a percent lower in his survey, identified as evangelical Christians. Brothers and sisters, Peter is writing to a minority just like you and I are a minority today in America. We are not the majority anymore. So when you read this letter and you think, I cannot identify with what Peter is talking about here, you are the minority. Insults, persecution, hostility, If it has not happened to you yet, I promise you it is going to happen. Because when you're in the majority culture, it's very easy. Because everyone agrees with you. Everyone believes like you. Everyone thinks like you. But when you become the minority, that is when suffering begins to take place. We have a response to that, though. Jesus is the Lord of our lives. And no matter how small we continue to dwindle as an American population of Christians, Jesus is on his throne. And he will remain there forever. So what is our response to this? Well, Peter says that we are to rejoice. It would have been so much easier if he would have said, complain, blame somebody. But he says, rejoice in your suffering. Why would he say that? Because when you rejoice in your suffering, you are identifying with Jesus and the experience he had on the cross, suffering for you. I love this quote from Peter David in his commentary on First Peter. This is what he says. When you suffer, you are... uh, Let me back up. I skipped some lines. In other words... As the Christians suffer because of their identification with Christ, they enter into the experience of Christ's own sufferings. This experience creates a re-imaging of their own suffering, which will allow them to see the real evil as an advantage as their perspective shifts. When you and me suffer, it's an opportunity for us to identify with Jesus Christ with that type of mentality, your suffering becomes an advantage to you because not only does it increase your dependency on Jesus, it allows you more to identify with Him. I've talked a lot about what our identity should be made up of and what is in our identity. How do you primarily identify? Husband, wife, father, mother, brother, sister, student, teacher, employee? And where is your identity rooted? In your career? In your achievement? In your politics? In your productivity? In your favorite sports team? Luckily for me right now, that's good. But sometimes it's bad. And if our identity is rooted in those things, they will fade away into history. Our identity must be solely rooted in who Jesus says we are because of what he did for us on the cross. And so we rejoice in our suffering. And that is not natural. That is not the human tendency. That is not what we want to do. But Jesus, James, Paul, Peter, John, they all tell us, rejoice in your suffering. And that's a hard message to grasp. It would be a lot easier to just give up, to complain, to play the blame game, That's not what Jesus tells us to do. But we can rejoice in our suffering because when we do that, we know that Jesus is with us and that his glory will be revealed as a result of that. I'm reminded of the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 where he is being stoned for his faith. This is what Acts chapter 7 tells us. But he, being Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Before Stephen was pelted with rocks, he saw the glory of God in his suffering. And because of that, he can rejoice. Persecution always brings with it opportunity. I was talking with a friend of mine who's a missionary in China just this past week, and some government officials came into his church, and so they had to disperse. And now, instead of his church meeting in one central location, they're meeting in coffee shops and apartment buildings and other undisclosed locations. And the reason that's a good thing is because now the gospel can be proclaimed in places where it once wasn't. And when the church of Jesus Christ, after Stephen is stoned for his faith, it scatters, and it goes all over the known world. And you have Paul being a missionary all over the place, and that all started because the church experienced persecution. Every time we suffer, opportunity arises for us to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known to those around us. And then we see Peter saying that insults that we receive are actually blessings. The hostility, the embarrassment that we sometimes feel as a follower of Jesus is a blessing from God. Why is it a blessing? Because when we experience those things, the Spirit of God is with us. And again, it increases our dependency On Jesus. No one in this room probably likes being made fun of. Being insulted. Dealing with friction in your relationships. But as Peter is writing to these believers. He is letting them know this is going to happen to you. But you can rest easy knowing that Jesus is with you in your suffering. Peter clarifies though that only suffering for doing the right thing. So he wants to make sure these believers know, look, you're not going to get a pass when you choose to engage in these behaviors that you know are not beneficial to you. Evildoers, murderers, thieves, meddlers. No, no, no. You're not going to be blessed for those types of behaviors. But these behaviors that bring you closer to God and prove that you are doing good in the world, when you suffer for those things, you will be blessed. The term that Peter uses for meddler is only used one time in the entire New Testament. And what Peter is trying to convey to his audience here is don't stick your nose in other people's business in a way that actually draws them away from Jesus rather than to Jesus. Now this is wise advice from Peter here. Because we know, every single one of us, we are called to take the gospel to all people. But sometimes when we go and we communicate the gospel, we want to focus on behavior modification. We want people to change their behavior and then everything will be all right. That is not our job. The Spirit of God is the one who transforms hearts and transforms minds. And so when we approach people, even if we disagree with the way that they're living their lives, we don't need to meddle all up in their business. Yes, we need to communicate what sin is. Yes, we need to clearly define that to them. But it's the Spirit's job to convict Peter knew that if these Gentile Christians go to their friends and they begin to just tear down the way they're living their life, it's actually going to draw them away from Jesus rather than take them to Jesus. Yelling and screaming are hardly effective methods for reaching people with the gospel. I love this quote from Trevin Wax, who is a Christian author. This is what he says, Too many Christians today believe they are fighting for righteousness in their online interactions or their heated discussions with coworkers. when in reality they are engaging the world the same way non-Christians do, except perhaps without the profanity. The church cannot stand out amid polarization and fragmentation as long as our members are actively contributing to it. In other words, the way to reach people that are not saved with the gospel is not to blend in with the way that they already behave. Yelling and screaming and fighting. We are to be gentle and compassionate and graceful and truthful all at the same time. Yelling and screaming and fighting. Peter says here, don't meddle in a way that is going to draw people farther away from the message of Jesus. The gospel is the one responsible for transforming behavior, not us. These insults that these believers were beginning to experience, this hostility was only going to last for a season. And Jesus would be with them in spite of it. But if you do suffer for doing the right thing, And we talked about this last week as well. You can trust that Jesus knows what you're experiencing. And so if your identity is solely rooted in Christ, when the insults come, when the hostility happens, if your identity is in Jesus, those things won't mean as much because all that matters is who you are in Christ. Then Peter closes by saying, trust the faithful creator. Now, one of the signs of the final judgment has always been the suffering of God's people. In the Old Testament, we find that when the final judgment was talked about, it always began with God's people and in His own temple. And in the New Testament, we find that every time suffering begins to happen, believers begin to think about the final judgment. And the New Testament church used the final judgment as a way to talk about purifying the church. What about us in this room? We don't know for sure if we're experiencing the final judgment of God or not, but we do know that we're in a time of transition. Maybe God has the person that He has called to this church waiting in the wings, but he's waiting on us to purify our hearts, to reaffirm our commitment to the word of God, to serving one another, to prayer, to loving each other, and then God will bring the person he has called here. It's an opportunity for us to reflect in this local body about what God has for us in our future. The final judgment It's different, though, for believers and non-believers. And verses 17 and 18 show us that, number one, we should be thankful for the salvation that we have in Christ, but number two, it should also make us urgently aware of getting the gospel out to as many people as possible. Because the judgment that believers in Christ experience will be vastly different from those that do not know Jesus. And Peter tells us, judgment will begin in the house of God. So we reflect in our own hearts, asking God to show us the areas where we know we are not living up to the standard that he has called us to. Trust that the faithful creator is going to carry you forward in your experience of suffering. In this letter, as we've found out, suffering always is associated with persecution. And we talked last week about how for many of us, we will never experience persecution the way that Peter is writing about here. But we will experience suffering. Physical, emotional, mental, social suffering. And it will be an opportunity for us to refine Our faith, to increase our dependency on Jesus, and to make us identify more with what He experienced on our behalf. So let's examine our own hearts today. Let's ask ourselves this question. Number one, are we aware that the test is coming? The suffering is coming. Number two, when it does happen, Are we ready to rejoice in the midst of it? In 2017, in southern Ethiopia, there was an attack which destroyed 38 homes and killed three individuals. And the churches in that area got together and they asked, what can we do to encourage and minister to our people during this time? And so faithfully, they went from one house to the next faithfully taking care of each family, sharing the gospel with them, making sure they know about the love of God. And two years later, one of those churches has doubled in attendance since that attack. And another one has planted two churches in response to that. This is a group of people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, halfway across the world in southern Ethiopia, that understand that they can entrust their suffering to the faithful creator who has created them in the image of God to serve him and to make his name known. Can we say the same in this room today? Whatever you endure, Jesus will carry you through if you are in Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? God, I know all throughout the room, there are people that are dealing with all sorts of issues. Loved ones that are sick, jobs that are in jeopardy, relationships that are tarnished, God if they are in Christ this morning I pray that they would feel the encouragement that Peter gives to us to rejoice in our suffering to understand that insults that we receive are blessings from you God if there is anyone here this morning who does not know you and they have struggled being able to reconcile suffering with a loving God I pray for their heart I pray that the gospel would transform their mind and their heart. Jesus, we thank you for the suffering you endured on our behalf. And every time we experience a situation that is difficult, we can identify with you. Not in the same way, but we can identify through what you did for us. So, God, help us to reflect now, to meditate on this passage, to allow your Spirit to speak to us. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.